Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our weekend service on Sunday, July 25th. Today wraps up a series we've been in for the past several weeks called God With Us With Others, where we've been looking at the incarnation, entering into the world of others. Today's message is entitled Grown, and we're going to be looking into connecting with other people in the midst of suffering. Also on that note, I would like to extend a big thank you to everyone who has prayed for us, my family and myself, in the last week, and for everyone who's brought meals by, sent cards, uh, emails, uh, we just really appreciate it. I'll go into a little bit of why in the message, so uh, if you don't know what was going on, just listen and you'll catch up. So thanks for listening. And be sure to check us out on the web, northshorevineyard.org. All right, let's go to the talk. Well, so I'll just give you all an update on my situation real quick. And uh, I, I had a freak um, bit of heart issues last week and uh, ended up in the hospital. They, um, they were kind of stunned. They didn't, I didn't fit into any of the categories for having heart disease or anything like that, but uh, they found a 99% blockage in one of my arteries and uh, put a stent in and all that stuff. So that was, I, that's why I wasn't here last Sunday, but um, I want to thank everybody who helped out and uh, made sure things went on in my absence. It's pretty cool that our church has only been doing the weekend thing for about seven months and like I can leave now and and y'all, y'all, can, y'all can still go on. So, uh, and, and I want to thank Jim Holland, even though he's not here. Maybe you'll hear it on the podcast that, uh, for coming in and sharing last week. That was really cool of him to step up. But I'm doing fine. My wife was a little worried that I was singing today. You know, she's like, well, you just kind of get into it when you sing. What if you fall over dead or something? It's like, oh, I won't do that. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so I'm doing good. Uh, just um, haven't gone, haven't had any uh, wheat products in a week. So I'm kind of going through detox right now and... Uh, I'm waking up in a cold sweat thinking about biscuits and toast and crackers. You know, I'm okay. They, they still let me have a little meat, so I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. But I'll go into bake, bacon withdrawals probably in a few more weeks. But uh, <laughs> Hey, um, one more announcement before we get going. Um, Mike Bertuzzi, who's our, who's our sound guy, his wife Mary, we've been praying for her brother Duke for a while. He had a, a, a brain tumor and, and been pretty much in and out of the hospital for about a year now. But uh, he, he passed away uh, Saturday morning, was it? And um, so just continue. We'll, we'll pray for him right now. But uh, Mike's going to be heading out there tomorrow. Mary's already up there in, in Nashville, is it? And um, so just, just keep their family in your prayers right now as they kind of go through this. And, um, and, and the group, the, the small group that normally meets at Mike's house in, in Mandeville, Abita area, will not be happening this week. So if you go to that group, uh, you can show up at the Covington one on Wednesday night at Alan Judy's house and uh, find directions on our website uh, or talk to them after the service. And we, we do have the directions posted up on the website. So um, let's just pray for um, <clears throat> Mary and her family real quick um, before we get into this. Father God, we we just we lift up Mary's family to you, all that are dealing with the loss of her her brother Duke, and uh, God, we we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just surround them and comfort them in this time of of grieving, in this loss, God, that you would just reveal yourself in the midst of it, God, uh, just even like the song that we we were singing, God, that even 
even walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear anything because you are with us. So I, I pray that you would make that profoundly real to them in this time. And, and Lord, we just we specifically pray for Mary uh, because she's a part of this church. And we just pray that you would just be with her every step of the way. And, and Lord, just even show us as, as her brothers and sisters in Christ how we can uh, just surround her in this time and uh, love on her through this. So we just ask you to be with her and her family, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, where do we begin? Today, um, if you've not been here the last few weeks, we do have a podcast on our website, or you can find it on iTunes and actually subscribe to it. And I would highly recommend the series that we're in. It's called God with us, with others, that, that if you're just kind of coming here now, that you, you go back and listen to the messages, and you'll kind of, uh, maybe you're thinking about, yeah, I don't know about this North Shore Vineyard Church, I'd kind of like to know a little things, you just go back and listen to the last few weeks, and you'll kind of get an eye for what we're talking, uh, you know, an idea of what we're talking about and stuff, and, and you, you might find it might even help you as well. But the, the series we've been in for about four or five weeks now is the idea of the incarnation of Jesus, and how it's one of the most overlooked kind of components of Christianity, but it should be a big deal to us. And the idea is that in John 1.14, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as Eugene Peterson put it in the message, the, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. God had something to say to mankind, and he did it by putting flesh on the word in Jesus. And Jesus... He moves into our world, and, and he lives his life here 30 years before he ever does any of the ministry he got famous for. And that ought to tell us something about God. And that ought to tell us something as Christians about how we are to minister to others. That maybe instead of just telling people what we believe all the time, maybe we should be an example of that. Maybe as Jesus stepped into our world, maybe we should step into the world of other people. And so we've been looking at what that means. So a few weeks ago, we talked about listening to people. <laughs> trying to understand them instead of just having boundaries up. And we've talked of various ways of, of, of connecting with people, even in our own story. You know, finding points. You know, I said two weeks ago that, that we view our, our lives through the lens of Jesus, and we find places where God's moved, and we find ways to connect with people that we never thought we could connect with because of what God's done. So today I want to take this up. You know, one, we're going to kind of close out this series today, and the, and the final message is called Grown. Fun title for a message. Um, can I get a groan? That sounds like a bunch of cows up in here. <laughs> uh, but our, our text today is Romans 8, 18 through 27. And if you didn't get a bulletin, we still probably have some over there. If anybody wants one, but you can follow along. Uh, we got the little outline there. Romans 8, 18 through 27. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this to a a collection of Christians in Rome. And Paul's in jail when he's writing this. And he starts off, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I haven't quoted Lord of the Rings in about three months. <laughs> but the opening of, of, of the first of the Lord of the Rings movies is, is uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. It starts off with a black screen and it says, The world... Hey, don't play that yet. Different movie. Wrong movie. <laughs> Teaser. Coming attractions. <laughs> the opening scene of The Lord of the Rings opens with the words, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. And this is kind of the way Paul starts off this section. He says, creation, something is wrong. Something has changed. You feel it. You know, we, we see that. You, you turn on the evening news, the BP oil spill, the, the you know, Calamities in nature, fighting, wars, disease, famine, something is not right. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But we get this feeling that, that, that perhaps sometime things were right, that something's changed, that, that something's been altered. I think we all have these kind of transcendent moments sometimes. You ever, you know, it may be, like for me, I, I love going camping there's this place up in Mississippi I go to, and sometimes I, I, I went there a couple times last year by myself, and I just go out there. I, I remember one night it was a full moon, and I just laid out on the picnic table for about four hours staring up at the, si at the sky. And, and sometimes in those moments, you just feel like, wow. You feel like there's something much bigger. Or maybe it's looking out over the ocean or the mountains or, or just, you know, even staring in the eyes of a child. Maybe, maybe you sense something bigger in a conversation. Maybe there's a moment where you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden you, you, you hear something else. Or maybe it's a piece of music. But we get these, these moments that are kind of transcendent, that, 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 that strike a chord within us, that there's something bigger, there's something more out there. But for the earth and all its beauty, for all its mountains, lakes, all its beautiful flowers and creation, it's a scary place to live, right? Because <laughs> that same earth that has beautiful sunsets and oceans and mountains has hurricanes and earthquakes, famines, diseases. Paul says the world has changed. It's not the way it's meant to be. We get glimpses of the way it might have been. We get glimpses of, of, a, of a former glory, but something's changed. And Paul goes on to explain that in this passage that creation has been subjected to the curse of sin. I, I like to uh, use the analogy, I've used this before, that you know, if I, I take my acoustic guitar over here, I can take one of the little tuning things and take one string and take it out of tune. And you know if I take that one string out of tune the whole guitar is going to sound out of tune. That one string. 
If I take that one string out of tune, it doesn't matter how well written the songs are that I play on it, they're not going to sound right. It doesn't matter if I get the, the most amazing guitar player on it, it's not going to sound right until I get that string back in tune. Well, in the same way, man, in the beginning, chose autonomy from God. In the beginning, man was in tune, in harmony with God and with creation. There's beautiful music. Man chose to go it his own way without God. String came out of tune. The song got, went from harmony to dissonance. And so everything we see is kind of a, a picture of that. And Paul says that, that what, what, what we see in the world, the hardness, the suffering, the travail, he said that, you know, that's a part of the curse of sin. But Paul also goes on to bring in the analogy of a pregnant woman. Now, I've never been pregnant. Just wanted to let y'all know. Um, but I have had the chance to witness uh, some pregnant women in my life. We, we got a few in here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and one observation that I can make as a, as, as a guy observing pregnant women, I, I, I don't know really what it's like, but what I've seen is that the longer you go in pregnancy, the harder it gets, Right? I mean, you may have difficult times in certain trimesters, but the, the more this baby goes, the more difficult it's going to make your life. You, you look at a, a woman in their third trimester, man, getting in bed's hard, sleeping's hard, getting out of bed, sitting down's hard, getting up, you know, getting in a car, eating, anything that you got to do gets exponentially harder in that third trimester because you're holding this life inside you. And then when labor actually starts, boy, it just ramps up from there. I remember when Dina was uh, in labor with, with Tevia, our first child. She was in labor for like over 30 hours. And for like the first 95% of that, she wasn't on any medication. Then finally at the end, they're like, we got to give you something or you're going <laughs> to die here. And uh, they finally gave her something. But, you know... The interesting thing about labor, about pregnancy, is no matter how hard it is, no matter what you've gone through in that process, the moment that that baby is born, it all melts away. I know Dina, when she first held Tevia, you know, it's like, God, we've been in the hot, she's been awake for a couple of days and, and just travail under so much stress. And then the moment Tevia arrives and she gets to hold her in her hands, it's like, ah. Oh. It's all worth it. Everything pales in the newness of life that's brought forth. Everything pales. I've actually seen women who, I, this is crazy, they'll have a horrible pregnancy, it's just awful labor and all that stuff, and then a few weeks after having the baby, they're like, I think I want to have another baby. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? Do you not remember how hard that was? All the nausea, the morning sickness, the and, and, and what about these women who are, I mean, we got several people in our church. I mean, we got Sarah and a few others that are in their third trimester in Louisiana in the middle of the summer. That's a psycho. But when that new life is finally born, everything else compared, you know, it just pales in comparison. It melts away. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that no matter how bad it looks right now, he said this is just like, it's like labor. It's like labor pains. We see it ramping up. We see things getting, getting really bad. But he said, don't be without hope. Because in a, in a moment, sometime in the not-too-distant future, 
We're going to see new life explode, and everything is going to pale in comparison with that. He said that's what creation is really waiting for, the fulfillment of God's promises that God started back when Jesus came on the scene. The word that I want to look, to, look at today is the groan. Groan. Mm. Paul talks about three kind of groans here. And I know you don't normally hear messages on groans, and I've never done one. But uh, he, talk, he uses the word groan to describe three things. First, creation, which I've talked about, that the world is not fully as it should be. The trees, the animals, mountains, everything is not the way it was intended to be. It's under a curse. It's groaning under the weight of that. But then secondly, he talks about the groan of God's own children. And finally, he talks about the groan of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's, what's the groan of God's people? Well, this is when you've responded to Jesus, when you've actually tasted of the Holy Spirit, you invite him into, into your life. I know... I've shared my testimony a bit, but when I finally said yes to God 16 years ago, I mean, I was a mess, an absolute mess. And when God finally came into my heart, it was like, whoa, for the first time, I actually had peace. For the first time, you know, I had real life on the inside that, that, that wasn't manufactured by a chemical or a relationship with another human. All of a sudden, I had a relationship with God. But the reality is, not everything changed. <laughs> and sometimes that's a bummer. That's the tension that we have to live in. You know, I've seen people in the years that I've been a Christian, I've even seen people in this church healed of different things. I've seen people have amazing miracles. But you know what? Every person I've seen have an amazing miracle in their life where they've been healed of something, eventually they've all died. I've seen people have financial miracles in their life. And then a few years later, they get into some financial binds. We live in this tension between the now and the not yet, between what God's already doing in our lives and what God will ultimately do. And it's tension, man. I mean, a lot of people try to make it out like you, you decide to follow Jesus, you're, you know, you, life is going to get easier. It's not. It's going to get easier in a way that you, you got God with you now. But man, you got to live in tension, and that's a groan, man. You groan under that. You're like, oh, God, I've tasted of you. I've tasted of what you're like, your unfailing love. I've tasted of your peace. I've tasted of your healing. I've seen you do things in my life. You've, 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 you've put my heart back together. But how long until I see that in its fullness? How long until we see you, you come back and restore things? That's a groan. And Paul also goes on to talk about the groan of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit groans. Well, that's weird. He says, when we're in our weaknesses, when we don't know what to pray, you ever get there? You, you ever get so overwhelmed by things, you're just like, I don't even know what to pray. I, I got no clue. I got nothing. Paul says that, that in our weaknesses, the Holy Spirit enters in, and he prays for us. I don't know about you, but... God praying for you? That, I, I have a feeling that's going to help. <laughs> I have a feeling God answers his prayers. Uh, so the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that can't be uttered. This is another picture of the incarnation. Jesus steps into our world 
lives 30 years before he starts his ministry, ministers for another three years, goes to the cross, the resurrection, but then he sends the Holy Spirit as a comforter into our lives. And God, as the Holy Spirit enters in, you know, when we're weak, when we can't see straight, when our lives are just so messed up, we don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit comes and enters into that place and meets us there. These are a picture of three types of groaning. And I, I think that we tend to want a Christianity that is groan-free. <laughs> like, I want the groan-free package. I want, like, like the, I follow Jesus. I have, you know... I'm healthier, wealthier, have whiter teeth, fresher breath, uh, you know, people like me, uh, and I'm more and more insulated from the suffering of the world. Who wants that package? Yeah, I do. That's what I signed up for. <laughs> we, we don't want to groan. We don't want to go, ah, because you know what? You, you only groan when you're connected with suffering, don't you? And when things are good, you're not groaning. But what we see in these passages is that's part of what's going on. You know, the, actually, in the Gospel of John, there's a story about Jesus, and he has a, one of his best friends is a guy named Lazarus, and you've probably heard the story before. Lazarus dies while Jesus is off doing ministry somewhere, and by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And, you know, his, his sisters, Mary and Martha, are like, man, if you'd have been here, Jesus, you know, maybe you could have done something. And, and anyway... Jesus ends up raising him from the dead. But before that, it says that Jesus groans within himself. When Jesus sees Lazarus, sees the, the holes left in people's lives when somebody dies, when somebody's taken, when he connects with humanity under the curse of sin and death, when he sees that, he groans. He enters into that suffering, but then he raises Lazarus from the dead. See, groaning... Connecting with suffering, whether in our own circumstances or in the circumstances of others, that's actually part of Christianity. That's part of what we're called to do. And we spend so much time insulating ourselves from that, don't we? I mean, there's entire theologies in America that have sprung up that, that you, you just need to run as far away from the suffering as the world as possible, isolate yourself from all the bad things in the world, make your own little Christian subculture where you have shiny, happy Christian people all around you, and all you do is listen to Christian music and read Christian books and watch Christian programs, and, and everything is absolutely Christian. So you don't have to be around the hard things in the world. But what we see with Jesus and what we see even in the Apostle Paul, all the major players of the New Testament is not only did they suffer, but they were connected with people in their suffering. And this gets down to part of what we're talking about. You know, the groan uh, comes from our connection with God and with others. See, that's one thing we can see in these verses. Paul first talks about the groan of creation, then he talks about the groan of us inwardly, and then he talks about the groan of, of the Holy Spirit. But as you see those things connected, that's the place where we're supposed to live. That's the tension with which we are supposed to live. We got this little uh, slogan on our outside wall. It says, Life Connected. And it's the series we've been on this whole year, talking about that as Christians, you know, as much as we would like to, you know, find ourselves in a Christian community and never have to go through any hard things anymore, that's not where God called us. We've got to be connected to God, connected to other Christians, but connected to people in the world, outside the church, connected to those who are hurting, 
connected to our own hearts. But the groan comes in the midst of that connection. The groan comes as we connect. And it comes from proximity. You know, if, if you're not connected close to people, you won't have a groan. <laughs> you, you, you won't. You, you may pray for people, but you won't really be praying with them. And when I say praying with them, that's not necessarily praying with them, but praying in their circumstances. You know, the, I remember a few years back, there was a terrorist attack on a, on a club in Indonesia. I think it was an Al-Qaeda one. Do you all remember that? It was a few years ago. And I suspect, if you're like me, you probably watched it on the news and you're like, wow, that's a bummer. And you think about it for about 30 seconds and then the next news story, right? But when 9-11 happened and those terrorists were flying planes into New York, all of a sudden, you're groaning, right? Right? All of a sudden, it was hitting close to home. These were not people, you know, Indonesia, it's, it's on the other side of the world. It's not that you don't care, but you just have no connection. Your proximity is, is way off. All of a sudden, they start hitting America. It's like, whoa. Matter of fact, you probably wouldn't have cared about Indonesia at all had it not happened after 9-11. It probably, you probably wouldn't have even thought twice about it. Think about hurricanes. Back in the 90s, I remember there was a hurricane named Mitch that hit Honduras. Do you all remember that one? Just horrible hurricane. I mean, it, it just obliterated Honduras. And there's some of you in here probably sent money to the Red Cross and, and, and wanted to help. But when Hurricane Katrina happened, boy, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're groaning. You're joining in with the suffering because many of you are in that. But, but every one of you in here, you know somebody who's lost their home, right? Every person in here is... You may even know some people who died in Katrina. You know people who lost their jobs. You're joining with them in their suffering. The proximity has been eliminated. You're close. See, part of our struggle as Christians is how can we, how can we bridge the divide? You know, how can we cut away the distance between us and others and step into where they are in their times of suffering? See, my wife, Dina, She's back there teaching the kids today, children's church. But there was a there was a time about I think it was about a year after Katrina, and one of you know I think one of the biggest things we lost in Katrina we got our our little apartment we were in it got about three to five inches of water, just enough to screw things up. So we moved out of there. But one of the biggest things we lost was the community, the community that we developed there. We lived in these little apartments. There was about eight of them with a little cart courtyard. And nothing fancy, but we had, over the three or four years that we were there, we had just really established some awesome relationships with these people. There would be nights where we would just sit out in the little courtyard for hours talking with our neighbors. I mean, who does that in America anymore, you know? And we loved it. But you know, after Katrina, all of our neighbors except one ended up leaving. And it was this little German lady named Miss Lottie. Well, about a year after Katrina... She called Dina up and said she'd been diagnosed with cancer. And Dina just felt like, you know, Miss Lottie wasn't a Christian, you know. She was culturally very different. She was in a different place, but, but God had connected us with her. So Dina just said, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to start hanging out with Miss Lottie. I mean, she already had been. But over the next months, 
She just began sitting with her, holding her hand, just listening to her, explain her fears. Dina wasn't going over there saying big prayers and giving her Bible verses and, you know, Joel Osteen book or something. <laughs> she was just sitting there with her, being with her, entering into that suffering with her. Well, it didn't take long before Miss Lottie ended up in the hospital. And she spent the last few months. But you know, Miss Lottie had nobody in her life, no family down here. She was alone, basically. And Dina, I remember the last, the last couple of months, she felt a bit conflicted sometime because she was like, I-, I wonder if I should share my faith with her in some way, you know? And I was like, babe, just, just love on her. Just love on her. Just see what God does. You know, there actually came some points in those last few weeks of her life where she really did get to, to share Jesus with her, with words. Reality is she'd been sharing Jesus with her the whole time. <laughs> in the final days of her life, she did actually respond to Jesus. And Dina actually did end up praying with her several times over that last month. But you know what? She entered into the suffering. She joined she got to be a part of the groaning that she was going through. But she got to, to, to be like Paul was saying, this groaning that you're feeling, it, it's not hopeless. It's going somewhere. New life will come from this. I want to show a little clip from a movie called Shawshank Redemption. This is one of my favorite clips from the movie. Uh, if we can roll that now and see if this works. And did you hear that? to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. 
It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. It pissed the warden off something awful. There's something in this, this little clip that reminds me about what Paul is saying here in Romans 8. I love what Morgan Freeman says. Here you are in a prison. And he says, I don't know what them Italian women were singing about. I don't even want to know. But I'd like to think it was something so beautiful. It was too beautiful for words. But it was like a bird came to our cage and began singing. And that drab world faded away. See, I think that's a picture. When we're connected with God, when we're connected with those who are suffering, when we're groaning with them, when we step into their place, when we don't isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves from that, but when we find the ones that God has connected us with and we step up and join them in that place, the walls of the hospital the walls of the prison, the walls of the addiction, the, the trial, the relational brokenness that they're going through disappear. And they get a song that rescues them, that points them to a new place. This is the incarnational ministry that I believe God's calling all of us to. But it starts by simply connecting with people. You know, the next few weeks we're going to actually be talking about prayer. But I don't want to talk about prayer until we talk about stepping into the lives of people. Because I think it's so easy for us as Christians to pray about things. You know, just to, to chalk it up to, I'm going to pray for this person from a distance. God bless you. <laughs> but when you enter into that person's life and you join with them in the place that they're at... And let that form your prayers. Then you can actually be a part of what God is doing. That groaning that, that is beyond words. That intercedes for us even when we don't know what to pray. And I believe I've seen that with people in my own life. Have you ever had someone just enter into your sufferings? In, into something you're going through? And they, and they join with you in that? Anybody? It changes you. You become a different person, and there's no greater way that somebody shows that they love you, and there's no way that, that you experience the love of God probably more profoundly than that. I want to close with a, a little thing that we're going to be trying. We, we do these little faith experiments around here sometimes. Back in the season leading up to Easter, we did a, a thing called 40 Days of Faith. And uh, how many of y'all were here then? And it was probably about doubled in size since then, but <laughs> uh, 40 days of faith. I just asked people in here in the weeks leading up to Easter, let's spend the next 40 days just asking God to answer a prayer in our life. Just, just ask for a couple of needs. And I can tell you, I've had one report after another of people who saw God move in their life during that time. There was one family who the husband had been without work for months. God answered the prayer. He got a job. There's people going through relational issues. God began to, to enter into that. 
There's people who needed God to show up in all kinds of ways. And I could, I could just do one testimony after another. But that was when we were praying for our own needs. What we're going to do for the next six to eight weeks is I want us to do a faith experiment praying to see if God might show up and do something in somebody else's life that's connected to us. Is this fun? So on your, on your uh, handout there at the bottom, it says pick six. This is not lottery. You don't have to figure out the names today right now at this moment, but I want you to think of six people in your life that really need to encounter God. They may not know God, or maybe they do, and they're just, they're just under the weight of impossible circumstances right now. And I want you to, to, to commit to the next six to eight weeks that every day you'll pray for these people. You don't have to do like a, you know, pray for an hour for each person. Uh, <laughs> but that you will keep yourself mindful of these people and what they're going through and just begin to pray that God's kingdom would break into their world and maybe be open to what God, God may even show you some things that you can do to be the answer of the prayer. But in all this, as we pray for these people, I want you to be mindful of your connection to them. And so as we pray, let it not be prayer only, but also make it a point in your life over the next six to eight weeks to try to connect with these people. Maybe there's, there's some people that you know that need some prayer and you've just not done anything with them in a long time. Well, call them up. Go get coffee. Go hang out. And let's see what God might do. I love that God answered our prayers when we prayed for our own needs. But wouldn't it be cool to see God answer our prayers for other people? I think that'd be way cool. Why don't y'all stand with me and I'll close this in a word of prayer.